It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. They have won the Rachel Hayhoe Flint Trophy. Straight into the hands of the man on the mid-wicket boundary. Another one down. Hello and welcome back to Storylines, the women's cricket podcast with myself, Melissa Story, and the wonderful Nikki Chowdhury. Oh, you're so kind, Melissa. And a big hello to producer Matt as well, because you're here too. Hi guys, good to be on again. So we wanted to start things off with a huge thank you to everyone who tweeted us and messaged us and basically shared our last podcast because the feedback we got was outstanding and we are so, so grateful. If you missed our last podcast, of course, go back, listen, what are you waiting for? We covered all sorts of topics, including the big topic, which was our interview with Thea Brooks. She was speaking about the loss of her professional contract and what that's been like for her. And so it's a really emotional interview and, and worth listening to. So give it a listen a share, a review if you fancy. And of course, you can get in touch with us on Instagram or Twitter at StorylinesPod. And you can listen to the latest episode of The Analyst Inside Cricket 2, where the Simons talked about the World Test Championship and essentially the domination of Australia. What's been happening recently, Nikki, in your life? Because you told us a fun little story about your wild weekend. Okay, first off, I don't go out. So this weekend, I went out two nights on a trot, came home at 5am, which I feel like is beyond me. 5am? Both days, and I don't know how I did it. Anyway, so yesterday, I met a few of my friends who were here for the World Test Championship. And uh, so once India got thrashed, they all decided they needed to let off some steam. So I met them in the evening for some drink. One thing led to another. We ended up in a club, okay? And in that club, there are a few of the Aussie players with their World Test Championship medal on them, dancing away. Like, I was just bamboozled. (laughs) Now, this is important, because obviously the trophy for the World Test Championship, the mace, please say they brought the mace to the club. No, it wasn't, but they were literally just, like, swinging that medal and dancing with it. Were they wearing the kit? Like, were they in No, they weren't. I was... Yeah, if they were wearing whites in this club, that's a nick. 
But the medal, I was like, you know what, son? You absolutely thrashed us, so you deserve it. <laughs> they do deserve it, although I can assume that those medals are quite heavy, so it's a bit of a health hazard if someone's swinging it round their head in a club. If you got knocked out in a club because an Australian seam bowler's just smacked you around the head with their medal, I mean, it could be a good story to tell. Not every Sunday night that happens to you, does it? And that too on a Sunday night, it was so rogue, honestly. It was a strange weekend in, in the world of women's cricket, because of course we had the Charlotte Edwards Cup finals day, which took place at New Road in Worcester. The format of the finals day, there's an eliminator playoff between the second and third places. That was between the Vipers and the Thunder in their first ever finals day, bear in mind, for the Thunder. And then whichever team won that one would go on to play the blaze well it was a pretty exciting eliminator you have to say the vipers 191 for six batting first i mean from the get-go that was always going to be a tough chase for thunder wasn't the whole finals day just exciting in general it was meant to be played on saturday and then it absolutely torrentially downboard everyone comes back for the reserve day the next day like what is going on but it was a bit mental and as you say, that, that first game had so much excitement because the Vipers only won by 18 runs in the end, which just goes to show how much the, the professionalisation of the system is, is doing great things. Because if you look at the kind of average tournament scores recently, they, they do go back to being around that 125 mark. And yes, there's a number of factors in that. A lot of the women's regional teams play at club grounds a lot of the time or they're playing unused pitches. And a lot of teams come with an attack of a lot of slow bowlers as well, which leads to, to lower scores. But to be able to see a team score 191 in the eliminator and then the team chasing get to 173, it was it was so exciting. And Danny Wyatt, 76 off 50 balls. Maya Bouchier, 56 off 32. It was an 108 run opening partnership. And here's the shocking news. Sophie Eccleston, who was released from England duty to play in this game, bowled four overs for 50 runs. Wow. That's like, that's all I'm saying. I mean, I had a complete shocker at the weekend. I think I bowled about nine wides, but at least I didn't go for 50 runs or four overs. You'd probably think I was better at not being released, right? <laughs> like, those those figures would have never happened. But it's quite interesting to think, obviously, Sophie Eccleston is so used to, to kind of, you know, she's one of the best bowlers in the world, and a lot of batters do fear her, but the Vipers brought the attack to her from the very first over she bowled, and looking forward to the Ashes, which we will be doing very shortly, you just think, you know, the Australian team, they're an attacking team, and suddenly, if they're taking Sophie Eccleston to town, there's a lot of question marks for, for England. That Vipers win led to a final between the Vipers and the Blaze. The Blaze unbeaten in this competition so far. Shall I just stay at the start? We had no idea there was a reserve day. No one had told anyone. So the idea was that there was a thunderstorm on the way and if the game wasn't played, then Blaze would automatically win. And the Vipers reduced them to 53 for four. So there was a lot of crazy questions going around of, is this fair? They're four down and if it rains, they could win. But then, of course, luckily, we had that reserve day on the Sunday. So no one knew about the fact that there was a reserve day? And apparently, it was only told to the press and stuff. They were like, oh, good news. We've got a reserve day. Go book a hotel. Luckily, there's one in the ground. But the rain which came was apocalyptic. I mean, I don't think Noah would have even had time to build the ark. Or if he did, he would only have time to get on the cute animals or the tasty animals or both. So I saw videos. It was not nice. Like, it was... Proper rain, rain. Like, not and, just rain. And Worcester, notoriously not a great ground for its flooding, well, for its draining. But they did manage to get going on the Sunday, which was brilliant. It was a bit of a, 
a given result in the end after the Vipers had got the Blaze 4 down. Resumed on the Sunday, another half century for Wyatt, chasing down a pretty low total. It was chased down in just over 14 overs, and the Vipers won by seven wickets. They've brought Lottie home again. They've brought the trophy, which is named after their coach, which I still think must be some kind of voodoo magic. I mean, if you're going to name it after your coach, you're going to keep winning it, surely. Can we just say Lottie is very lucky? Like, the amount of trophies she wins, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous, from women's IPL to... Charlotte Edwards Cup, you name it. What has she not won? Is it luck? She's a bit like Voldemort, like she who must not be named. She's becoming such a good international coach that even saying her name will bring a loss to your side, I think, at this rate. I mean, congratulations to the Vipers. They did brilliantly and also a massive congratulations to the Blaze and the Thunder for making it to finals day. Of course, that's the domestic T20 season done it felt like a whirlwind we hardly have much time to even discuss it but after i think it's about a three week break we're going to be heading back into rachel hero flint fixtures we've got that to look forward to and the hundred for the rest of this year but the big news today is what we're here for is that earlier this morning england announced their test squad for the one-off five-day test against australia in this year's ashes at Trent bridge now i'm gonna call it the washes because i just love calling it the washes it's grown on me you know when i first heard it it was like 50 50 and now i'm like actually washes it looks terrible it written is. down though because it just looks like washes. no it doesn't look good <laughs> written down but say hashtag washes sounds cool i was gonna say if we have labeled this podcast something washes then if there's any like cleaning enthusiasts out there who think this is us previewing our favorite dishwashers our favorite washing machines or our favorite cleaning products i'm afraid we're not so first of all it's going to be a brilliant summer because this ashes series has been marketed alongside the men's it's one summer two ashes the crowds are going to be booming because most of the venues are around 90 percent sold for the for the one day games at least which is wonderful the players are becoming or have already become household names because of the hundred in the women's premier league it's brilliant so the Australian squad was announced quite a while ago because, of course, you know, they've got to pack their bags. They've got to prepare to come over to England for the summer and deal with our weather. So a quick run through of those names for anyone who hasn't had a chance to look at that squad yet. Of course, no Meg Lanning, which we discussed in a previous podcast, which is going to be a massive blow for Australia. Alyssa Healy is going to be captain in instead. But I mean, some pretty recognisable names in that squad there. Ashley Gardner, Grace Harris, Jess Jonathan amazing players who have, who have been around for a while Beth Mooney Megan Shoot as well but then you've got the young stars who are starting to break their way in you've got Kim Garth you've got Phoebe Litchfield who I'm going to be really excited to play a very dynamic left-handed opener who's done some brilliant things in Australia's last series against Pakistan at home as well as the likes of Alana King and also Georgia Wareham. So they've included two leg spinners in their squad for the Ashes, which I think is interesting. I think you can always take the gamble with leg spin, though, because leg spin does get you the wickets. If you can execute the skill, it's the hardest thing to bowl. And then they could just potentially change the game around in and over. So I quite like that. And it's completely different to what we've seen today, isn't it? Well, it is, because let's get into the England test squad. So it's just the test squad which has been announced today. And... You know, most of the names you'd expect, we've got the Knights, the Natsiva Brunts, the Beaumonts, Dunkley, Eccleston, Cross, who's recovered from her nasty parasite she she picked up over, over the winter. So, so glad to see Kate Cross in that squad. But the two new inclusions we'll talk about first, Danny Gibson and Lauren Filer. Yeah, both Storm players, I believe. 
What are your thoughts on that, Melissa? Well, so I, I followed the storm quite a lot, and especially now with my Gloucestershire roots, I'm, I'm particularly happy for Danny Gibson, who she's a dynamic all-rounder. You know, she's stepped in for Sophie Luff early this season and actually capped in the storm. So she's a responsible player. She's grown a lot in these last few years. And she offers a nice bit of movement with the ball. When she's got the new ball, she'll get that away swing and... I've seen some brilliant spells from her this year at, at Bristol against the South East Stars, where she was so economical. And then with the bat, she comes in a bit lower in the order. And despite the format changing, she doesn't really seem to change her style. She's a very almost basball-y player. She'd fit wonderfully in as, as almost the female equivalent of Harry Brook. I'm excited to see her included, of course. She was a non-travelling reserve for the Women's World Cup back in February. So we know that she's been around England's radar for, for a little while now. Anything else that you've taken from the squad release? What's what's really making you go, hmm? Well, first of all, again, I, I need to speak about Lauren Filer as well, because this one did surprise me, and I think it's a bit of a curveball from England. Actually, earlier this season, I commentated on two Storm games, and next to us both times was John Lewis and Heather Knight. And I was going, okay, at this point, I think they're stalking me because everywhere I go, Heather Knight and John Lewis are there. But it was very clear now they're watching Danny Gibson, they were watching Lauren Filer. Lauren Filer is a quick bowler. You know, I saw her deliver a bouncer to uh, Deandra Dottin at Sophia Gardens in Cardiff, which completely threw off guard. And Deandra Dottin is one of the best players there is. You know, she's she's the world boss. And this ball rose out of nowhere and smacked her in the grill and darted off the helmet down to the boundary for four. It almost flew down to the boundary for six. She is quick. She's had troubles with a bit of inconsistency with where she's bowling. You know, in one of the games against the Blaze, I think she bowled 13 wides, which can obviously be really, really damaging in the white ball game. The benefit for Lauren Filer, who bowls in swing as well, you know, really sharp in swing, is that obviously in test cricket, those balls down the leg side, those marginal deliveries are not going to be called wides. So actually, if she does play for England in this test, and if she does, I think it's going to be a battle between her and Izzy Wong. Izzy Wong, who, of course, we know she's a legend, she bowls quick, hasn't necessarily been having the best time of it recently. I think her radar's just been off a bit. So it's probably those two players jostling for a spot. I'd say the favour's a lot more looking towards Izzy Wong. But if Lauren Filer is selected, she will be quick. She will certainly put the Aussies on the back foot. And it will be fun, you know. I, I like to see her bat as well because she definitely goes by the mantra of here for a good time, not a long time. With Heather and John at all those games that you were commentating, Melissa, were you thinking, it's my time, I'm getting the call up? I was starting to warm my shoulder up in the commentary box and just was playing some shadow shots up there just so they could look through the side. Did you just see the way I shadow glanced that ball to the boundary for four, yeah? I think if the England team and every other regional player suddenly got ill, me and Nikki can start warming up our arms and on the whites this summer you asked Nikki about some of the questions around the selection and I think the biggest one which we've spoken about already off this podcast and a lot of the tweets we've been getting from listeners has been spin now spin plays a massive role in the women's game we know that it slows down the game we see a a lot more often in the women's game than the men's game spin bowlers bowling at the death you know, for the for the Southern Vipers, Georgia Adams often bowls the, the final over of the T20s, which is kind of remarkable to think about. But, you know, it is one of those things that when the pace is taken off the ball, for some players, you know, it makes it harder to play those more powerful shots because there's not as much on it and you really have to create your own force. In England's team, they have a frontline spinner, of course, in Sophie Eccleston. Never any doubts that she was going to get picked up in this one. But there's no Charlie Dean. 
There's no Sarah Glenn, albeit, yes, she's been more of a white ball player for England over the years. But do you think England's maybe not considered this much? I mean, they've, you've got Emma Lamb, who bowls nice off-spin as well. You've got Heather Knight and Alice Capsey, who bowl off-spin, but they're, they're coming back from injuries. Do you think England's got this right in the spin department? I don't think they have. I think it's a very similar route that they've taken, like what India did in the World Test Championship final, not playing Ashwin, which was probably a really big mistake looking back. And especially with the way the game is, five days, you're going to start off with your seamers. The spinners are going to be bowling the main chunk, especially that afternoon session, just, just coming on before lunch. They're going to be bowling that main chunk. The weather we're having, if the wickets stay like that, we saw what happened at the Oval, how it started off being an absolute green seamer and how it's getting nice and dry. You want spin at that point. If it's getting dry, it's going to get rough. You want to get the spin in play. And my big thinking is, obviously, this is a five-day test. So without rain involved, we are going to see a result. England could certainly aim for a draw in a four-day test, but it's pretty unlikely that you know any team could battle out for a, for a draw in a five-day test, particularly when the players aren't used to playing this this format. So I think, in my opinion, in that case, you need to be selecting a team with the highest chance of winning. You know, even if that means there's far more chance of losing, you've got to have a point of difference in your lineup. So whether for England that's going to be choosing, let's say, Bell and Filer, like, you know, having two bowlers who bowl quick, who swing the ball in, fine. But I think Australia have so many more options. I mean, going back to their squad, in terms of spin options, we mentioned the two leggies, but you've also got Ash Gardner, you've got Jess Jonathan, who bowl those off breaks. Grace Harris can bowl her spin as well. Like, I just, you know, I, I'm I'm concerned, as you say, that the England attack, let's say we've got a team of, of Bell, Wong and Cross with Nat Brunt are the four seamers, Eccleston being the main spinner. Are we going to completely bowl out Sophie Eccleston's left arm in the first Ashes test when we've still got so many more to come you know it's, it's such a concern that there's not going to be enough almost impetus in this bowling attack unless some, England do something a bit different and this is something which you know a lot of criticism has been aimed at them before is they've been a bit too inflexible whilst Australia are a very flexible side they're not afraid to drop a Jess Jonathan to bring in an Annabelle Sutherland if it's a more seam friendly pitch they are so flexible to their conditions do England need to do something different? Do we need to bring a, one of these, you know, a Danny Gibson or a Lauren Filer in to force a result if we're not going to play two spinners? I think, yes, having seam is important. But after a point when that red ball dies down, there's only so much it can do. You've got more chances with some spin on it. God forbid we suddenly get an Indian monsoon and we get green seamers, then potentially they'd be okay with the squad they've picked. But you would want at least two or three there that you've got options because a it's going to speed up the game having those spinners in there you'd get those overs in do you think heather knight is very confident in her own bowling or coming back from that injury obviously she hasn't played finals day do you think that part of the reason is that she sees herself as captain as that second spinner to back up eccleston interestingly enough when she was playing in the women's premier league i think rcb maybe hadn't looked into her recent injuries as much and just threw her the ball. And you could always see a bit of shock in Knight's face to go, oh, hang on a second. But she bowled really well in the Women's Premier League. So, you know, I think not necessarily maybe as, as the second choice, but I think maybe they see it as between Lamb, Heather Knight and Alice Capsey, between the three of them, 
combined they make that second spinner and then worst case scenario you chuck the ball to Sophia Dunkley to bowl some of the leg spinners but I do think if we're chucking the ball to Sophia Dunkley then something has gone wrong and Australia are maybe 600 for three yeah I think especially with the red ball bowling with the red ball is a completely different ball game compared to the shorter format that everyone plays so much more frequently so I'm not sure I think we're gonna have to see how that pans out but I hope it works out for England's sake we got another question in which was, what, if any, difference will the test being the first in the series make? Now, I think it makes quite a big difference. You know, looking at the different formats and just saying it out here, I love a multi-format series. And I do genuinely think this kind of structure of the women's ashes is going to be the way going forward for, for more international series. And, you know, having a point system with certain countries maybe being unwilling to play test cricket because they're saying it actually makes a loss for us. But that's another subject. But I think England's best hope is in the test and the T20s. You know, looking to the test, England in their squad have some really experienced players. Yes, they don't play a lot of multi-day cricket. Well, I mean, they don't play any multi-day cricket in the domestic game. But, you know, Heather Knight is one of the greatest women's test players there is. And under her captaincy, I believe England still have a strong chance. And then you look to the T20s and T20 is such an unpredictable format. You know, like anything can happen. It takes one player to get a 30 or 15 balls and the whole game swaps on its head. I think for England, the toughest one is going to be the ODIs, which are at the end of this Women's Ashes series, Washes series. So to have the test first, followed by the T20s, I think is probably the best for England to be able to get some sort of head start before those ODIs. Because... Australia in one day internationals at the moment are just pretty invincible what do you think Nikki oh my goodness you I think you've pretty much answered it I'm on the same page as you honestly another question we've received which I think is a really interesting kind of point it's very pessimistic and I love that about us English fans we're always looking for the the worst case scenario this listener asked if the Australians wrap up the series quickly do you go all out to win the remaining games or do you kind of use the rest of the series to introduce young players? Okay, I, you got to go all out. Come on, it's the Ashes. The Ashes. And there is no playing nice here. I just don't think. Yes, you've won it. You don't want to just like choke them. You're going to properly choke them at that point. Yeah, you're going to go hard. You're going to win all the games and potentially maybe do one change. I'd say perhaps bring one person in that you could potentially play around with. But I wouldn't say, right, we're going to bring in these four now obviously if Australia do wrap up the series quickly then it's a good chance to really show where they are in the women's game you know they're one of the best sides number one side but I think being in that position in the washes against what everyone's saying a very strong English side it's a really good point to put your mark and actually show how great you are I don't like all this oh, p- participation it's so soft and all mushy come on like you're gonna play you're gonna be brief first hey we know you're hardcore you stayed out till 5am two nights in a row like anyone with that wild of a steep schedule is hardcore but I agree I mean I think you know we've got brilliant crowds as I mentioned coming in to watch these games you know they want to see an England win so even if you know we're getting to the ODIs and the series gone again being very pessimistic you know give the crowd a game show that we are capable of beating them because If you think of when Australia implemented their domestic professional structure, what, it was five or six years before that was done in England. So, of course, they're going to be the stronger team. Of course, they're going to be the favourites. They're the number one team and they've had a much better system in place for longer. But give it three to five years in England, maybe the next Ashes series, maybe the one after that, 
then that's when I think it's going to be on a level kind of playing field. And actually, that's the one where we won't be being so pessimistic before because we'll be going, actually, we've got just as big a pool of professional domestic players to choose from. And I think another big factor this summer is that, of course, England are playing Sri Lanka in September in three T20s, I think, or uh, the schedule's been changed recently for um, Asia Cup reasons. But I think if you're going to be bringing in younger players, then that's the series you, you bring them in and have a bit of a try. Because, of course, as well as the, the main squad for England, there was the England A squad announced who are going to be playing Australia in a, in a warm-up game where you've got some young, exciting players. You know, you've got Charlie Dean, we mentioned, who was left out of the test squad. She's playing. Kirsty Gordon's going to be playing. Eva Gray is going to be playing. Bess Heath, Eve Jones, Grace Scrivens. You know, these are the players who are going to be playing for England in the years to come. So, you know... They've got a brilliant opportunity to play the Aussies in this warm-up game. And we were saying before the podcast, we'd love to see how they go against Australia because combined, this looks like a very strong unit. But, you know, these names who have named in the England A squad, those are the ones maybe if you want to try them out against Sri Lanka. But for the Ashes, I agree, go for it. Even if the series is gone, keep fighting because I never, ever want to see again a big depiction like in the men's game where there was that big hand with the five and the big zero on the other because that lives rent free in my head I don't want a whitewash although if it was a whitewash there's going to be some really good cricket on display so I'm quite excited to see <laughs> thank you everyone on Twitter for sending in your questions I'm sorry if we couldn't have addressed all of them there's just so much going on this week which we're just we're excited to share with you we're excited to discuss and speaking of exciting we've got a pretty exciting interview coming up next for you Nikki do you want to tell us some more Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. We're going to discuss something that's really close to me, having played cricket for such a long time, coming from a South Asian background, representing South Asian women in the sport. I've always, unfortunately, probably been in situations where you've felt a bit of the odd one out. You've probably been the elephant in the room and there have been a lack of people who look like you in terms of why are there no more people that potentially play cricket from South Asian backgrounds who look like me that I can potentially idolize. It's something that I've always wondered and I still wonder, why is there such little representation from a community which values cricket so high? It's pretty much referred to as a second religion. Why is that? Whose fault is it? Is it my problem? Is it my fault? Am I doing something wrong? So I'm really excited to welcome our new guest on the pod today. They've done amazing work within their field, currently completing their doctorate at Birmingham City University, where they've spent the last three years researching the lack of South Asian players and coaches progressing into the professional game. 
the mastermind behind the South Asian Cricket Academy, SACA, designed to help tackle the inequalities regarding South Asian representation in the professional game. I'd like to welcome Managing Director and Co-Founder of SACA, Dr. Tom Brown. Welcome, Tom. Hello. Thanks for having me. Firstly, I'd like to say a big thank you to you and a huge congratulations on all the fantastic work that you've done so far and are doing with SACA. Melissa and I have had the pleasure of commentating on quite a few of the men's games over the summer so far, and we've seen a lot of the players come through. So it's been a result of your successful work, a lot of them making their professional debuts in the men's game. So with that said, it's all very exciting, but there are some more deeper issues that I think we do need to speak about. If you could tell us a little bit more about yourself and what prompted you to get into this and doing the research. I was at Warwickshire County Cricket Club as a performance coach working on the girls' pathway, so working with the, the academy players there. And uh, Paul Greetham, who's the um, academy director at Warwickshire, um, made a partnership with Birmingham City University. At the time, they, they came together with this sort of research proposal to look at well, what can we do within the pathway? And I think it was sort of very obvious to all of us working on the pathway that there were, you know, over 50% of the pathway, around 50% of the pathway was British South Asian lads, yet we had no professional players on the staff that were from the South Asian background. Um, at a similar time, the ECB sort of launched their South Asian Action Plan, um, which is where the the 30% um, 30% of recreational players are from South Asian communities and then less than 5% at professional level. So... Really, that whole journey was, well, why can we can we understand why that is and um, um, what can we do to, to better it and to, to, to address that issue, really? And then that's been the last six years of my life. But not just to go and decide you're going to do the research, but to take the initiative and say, actually, I want to do something about it. I guess how did that come always about? Sort of being a practitioner at heart, like I said, starting as a coach, it was I didn't really just want to publish a piece and say, well, what? you know, that's it, I'll move back, I'll go back to lecturing or to teaching. Um, it was, what can we actually do about it? And I think the, the overall line from the research was that there are quite a few things wrong with the system. So we originally looked at why South Asian players don't make it, what are the lads doing wrong? Um, and the more we sort of delved into it and, and looked into it, we sort of went, well, there are the odd thing that, you know, could point to, to a bit of a decline, but nothing that, that equates to the numbers before. So I think what was really important to highlight as well, that the numbers we first highlighted was that it was actually 20% of pathways were um, South Asian players. So it, a lot of when you talk about EDI and inclusivity, it's all about sort of gauging with communities. And I think that would have been missing the, the problem that we've got lads in the system. It's how do we transfer them and how do we create an environment that works for them so that they can get through the system all the way to the end of professional cricket. Um, so at the end of it, it was sort of, well, there's things the system need to change. There's a very subjective talent system that is the sort of tagline we used was sort of culturally ignorant, not being aware of all the different sort of cultural nuances and behaviours that might lead to, to players not being understood. Um, and there's a big education piece around that. There's some work to be done to try and make the system more objective and less subjective and rely less on our just sort of opinions. Um, and none of those fixes, there were overnight fixes um, and the, the numbers were sort of pointing towards, well, there'll be a large group of players out there that are good enough that won't have time for us to change the system to adapt. So what are we doing in the short term, which is where we set up SACA to be a sort of short to medium term intervention to last sort of four, four or three to six years? Like, what can we do to help these players? Um, and, and what can we do to continue the research and continue helping coaches as well? Like, how do we actually address it in the short term whilst we're trying to make changes to, to the game on a wider scale. 
So these players that you're helping get back into the professional game, perhaps some of them have been discarded by the counties, be it for whatever reason, they've slipped away from the game. Is that because of a lack of knowledge, understanding from people within the system and who's made these decisions? Prejudice? What have you guys found? I don't think there's one answer to that. I think there's it's all on an individual basis, but I think the the overarching thing was, like we said, that the, the system was subjective uh, and the the problem with the system in general from whatever background you're from is that it stops at 18 and if you're not signed at 18 you're basically left to to the you know your own devices to try and find your own career it's very difficult to get back in these lads aren't making it and, and there were definite cases of prejudice there were definite cases of sort of racism but the overarching thing was every time we looked at performance metrics like how many runs this going how many wickets they're taken but all the way through the pathway, we could find no significant differences between white and Asian lads. So everything pointed towards there being reasons off the pitch. I think there were then some stereotypes that followed Asian players around, whether it's their fitness or attitudes to diet, and then uh, wanting to go off to university. Well, every time we looked to address that within the research, it kind of got debunked a bit. Like more white lads on academies went to universities than Asian lads within the samples we had, for example. Um, and... Uh, from a fitness point of view, whilst the county age group, the white lads were fitter than the Asian players um, when it came to academy, i.e. The, the guys that were most likely to be signed, that there was no difference at all. So that that's where we started to really break down into, well, is it a case of, like like you said, it, it, there's so many different reasons why it could be. Let's bring them all together and see and sort of test the hypothesis. And, and hopefully I think we've we've proven out there that there were players good enough in the system that, that were missed out on. Culture. So obviously being in the county system for a really long period of time myself, I think I can confidently say that I've not encountered an environment as such where you can truly feel that I can be myself. My approach to the game is like fully understood. Everyone around here is like we're on the same sort of wavelength. So there's probably been many occasions, or to be fair, even to this day, where I've perhaps had to adopt a persona which I'm not just to feel a bit more inclusive within the environment perhaps actually I want to get a bit more attention like I want to get the coach to actually come coach me so in terms of cultural differences how we're raised I think you did mention a piece on how if like South Asians they don't really make eye contact that's if I'm gonna make eye contact with my parents that it's considered like rude I'm not going to go challenge them. And obviously then am I the sort of character that someone's looking for? Am I a bit more timid and just wanting to listen and learn? I think you've summarized it really well there. I think that's, that's the type of stuff when we talk about cultural ignorance. So that like, like you've just said, they're challenging within certain cultures, making eye contact, questioning what you're being taught. You're almost not raised. You're raised to do the opposite. Um, whereas in Western culture, it's a little bit more, you know, making eye contact, nodding as you're going wrong, asking questions to gauge understanding that shows interest, that shows an engagement, et cetera. And, and a lot of it's unconscious that, you know, and I've, I'm definitely guilty of it myself. So I don't stand and preach this from a, you know, too high a pedestal because I've definitely made these mistakes myself talking to young lads and going, this guy's giving me nothing, but I can't get through to him. And actually I'm, I'm judging him based on, what a white privately educated lad might be doing. And, and that's one of the things when you look at state versus private school as well, um, especially within South Asian culture when they go to state school is the the, the character and you build from, from being in smaller classroom sizes, you end up developing better psychosocial skills. Um, and those skills 
mean that you can converse with adults better so that when it comes to a training environment or fitting into an environment, you find that much easier than someone who might have come from a state school background with 40 kids in a room. Um, and when the only way to get attention from that, well, you have two options really. You either act up a little bit to gain attention or or you go very, very introvert and quiet. I'm generalizing quite a bit there, but that they're, they're the types of things that as a system, we, we, we probably spend too much time talking about these things that don't really matter when it comes to picking who is the best at cricket. Um, and like you've said, trying to become a professional cricketer is difficult enough as it is, let alone trying to sort of change your persona or act differently and trying to fit in with the group on top of trying to get the best out yourself. It should be completely the other way around, but we designed the environment to be around you. Moving on to obviously the amazing things which Saka has been doing in the men's game, of course, here on the Storylines Women's Cricket Podcast. We kind of were discussing how many South Asian players there are currently playing. And, you know, you've got Naomi Datani and you've got Aftika Maksud who are doing brilliant things in, in the domestic game and to name a few more. But there's not a huge number of South Asian women's cricketers. So obviously the pool isn't as big in terms of professional cricketers in the women's game right now, but do you see anything in the future with Saka in terms of extending that and almost being able to say we've been so successful in Saka in the men's game in looking back and finding the players who have dropped out the system? Can it be used as a preventative thing in the women's game that actually we're at the start of professionalisation now? Can we prevent this happening? That's in theory what we're doing. So we do run a women's programme. Um, we Look, we've got so very little funding. Um, so we, we run our whole programme on 55,000 a year plus, and 10,000 of that goes towards research. So the cricket side of things is 45. So what we do with the girls, we've been running something at Warwickshire where the basically girls on the pathway from the South Asian background, we brought the girls that weren't on high performance programmes, so like i.e. with the Central Sparks or something, and we brought them together and we just said, let's make the entire environment, this is a complete blank canvas, what do you want to do? Every session they have control of what they do and we just sort of facilitate, but we have that the, the skills in the room from a coaching point of view to facilitate and develop. So it's not just like, oh, we'll play a quick game here today and it will all be you know, nice. It's still around development. Uh, but the whole aim of that was about talent retention. Like, can we keep these girls for next year? So that make sure that, because they were sort of identified as girls that might drop out the system if, if there's nothing there for them. So that's what we're doing at the moment. We, we are currently toying with and originally toyed with an idea of basically doing what we're doing in the men's game but for the girls. Um, and actually, Nikki, your name came up <laughs> quite early on within that as a player to, to approach Mina Zahor and, and Anish Patel as well, about how, how do we, can we create a team and do the same thing? We've, we've struggled from a budget perspective to, to do it, but also, like you've just said, it's probably, I think you named two, and there might only be one other professional player from a South Asian background. I think Sachi might be the only other one. So there's literally a handful. So it was a case of, well, are we going to ha have enough to do anything out there? And we're still looking at the idea and whether it needs to be South Asian only, like does that, can that bit just be a, you know, players who have dropped out of the system? I know you had Thea on a few weeks ago or last week, you know, I know Thea quite well and that's the type of player that there isn't much for. So do we try and develop a system where you, you do what we're doing with Saka for, for girls as well? But we're, we're definitely going to progress with the, the girls programme, i.e. the under-18s bit. Um, we are funding another PhD which will start in September for which we're actually still advertising for from a, uh, a candidate perspective. Um, so if you know anyone or if you do want to do a PhD and look into it, then the, the door is open. That's what we want to look into. Like I think what has been successful about the men's program is it had four years research to back it up. Whereas with the girls, it's like, what can we now do some research so we actually know what the right approach will be and we're not sort of just 
stabbing in the dark or what we think might work. I still think having gone through the system since being eight years old, I can still count in both on both my hands how many South Asian girls I played against or with. So like that's being played against Lancashire, Surrey's, Hampshire's. It's something that when you go to the ground, you're like, actually, yeah, I'm the only one here. So I think obviously that's going to be much harder to get the data because there's not much to well, take it from, really. I think it is getting better at pathway level. Um, so I know Warwickshire's 25% South Asian uh, at the moment, and I think Middlesex are something similar. Um, I'm not sure on other counties, but we're definitely seeing more at the younger age, about 10s to sort of 13s. Um, and that's why I said we set this thing up a bit later in the pathway, sort of 13 to 18, about can we keep hold of the very few that we have? Uh, so we worked with, I think it was 12 girls that we worked with over, over the winter. Basically, it's like, like you said, can it be a preventative? Can we get the academies ready for, for this influx that might come in five years' time rather than sort of end up in the same position we are with the men in five years and go, oh, well, we've got loads in the pathway, but we don't know how to transfer them out of the pathway. Now we need to do more research. We'll put ourselves back a decade or a generation. Do you think we're seeing more South Asian representation in women's cricket in the pathway now because perhaps there are more role models or perhaps the brand of Indian women's cricket has also taken an absolute leap as well. So there is someone that girls can see and identify themselves with. The last South Asian cricketer to play for England was Sonia Odedara back in 2014. And since then, there's been no one. And that's nearly 10 years ago. And you've also got, of course, grassroots programmes like Dream Big Desi Women, which is doing brilliant stuff at, I guess, yeah, club level and trying to get younger South Asian girls into the game. I guess, as you say, it's just going to be what happens in in four to five years time when all these grassroots programs are are producing upwards. Exactly. And that's what we've we've said on a a few other things that at the grassroots, I think there's some wonderful work being done. And it, but it's sort of looking at that going, let's be proactive so that we're ready for this in four or five years time, not reacting to it. That's been absolutely superb. Thanks Tom for your insights into this and obviously something I'm very keen and passionate about so on behalf of South Asians a huge huge thank you and on behalf of the Storylines pod thank you for coming on here and giving us that insight thank you for having me well that was a pretty brilliant interview there with with Dr Tom Brown who's doing fantastic stuff he's both advertised a PhD to me and Nikki which I'm not sure it's probably for us, Nikki. Uh, there's probably a much better candidates out there. Yeah, I don't think I could do a PhD. And did I just get a call up? I don't understand. I'm really confused. <laughs> My name was dropped in there a few times. What's happening? We joked earlier that me and you are going to get called up to play at Trent Bridge this summer if all the players get ill. I think you might actually have to start warming your arm up. It was brilliant to kind of learn about your experiences and the research Dr Tom Brown's doing. And one thing which we didn't really even have time to discuss, which I wanted to raise to you, was particularly in South Asian girls and women's participation, is kind of, you know, the effect of those cultural norms and family or familial pressure. I mean, have you or any of the people you know ever experienced this kind of thing and saying, I want to go play cricket? What's the response been? I think it's varied, but it is pretty significant. I know people who've gone into the game and have potentially stopped playing because they've gone through puberty and they don't want to play they don't feel comfortable or or having spent too much time in the sun they get tanned and that's not that's being too dark in south asian culture some people look down on it so it's quite funny you bring this up in india there's actually a body cream that 
people buy to reduce their skin shade by around four or five shades. And like here, everyone's out in the sun. Like, I want to get tanned. Like, can you just imagine the contrast? And there was a really interesting um, discussion with Naomi Tatani and, and Sonia Adredra where they were both saying, particularly Naomi Tatani was saying that she kind of reached 22 and she was saying, yeah, I want to do cricket for a career. And she was getting relatives and family members saying, like, when are you going to get married? I mean, it, it's crazy to, you know, think that, you know, you're here deciding your future and there's other people almost trying to make the moves for you. Yeah, definitely. I think that's just something that has been in the culture for years. When is the girl going to get married? Like, that's a very big part of a South Asian female's life. But I'm lucky I'm not having got the pressure of that. My parents are pretty chill. But it is a big part of someone's career because there are plenty of cases where people have to change their career because they're going to get married. Well, that rounds off what's been a pretty, you know, jam-packed episode there. We had Charlotte Edwards Cup finals action, Ashes preview, and then that wonderful interview about Saka and South Asian participation in cricket. We have some exciting podcasts for you coming up here on Storylines, the women's cricket podcast as we get ready for the Ashes and we're going to be bringing you some dailies where we discuss all of the day's action and some post-match analysis let's say because obviously Nikki we're pros at this we can't wait we're so excited it's going to be an absolutely brilliant summer if you enjoyed this episode then please leave us a review and if you want to get in touch then you can get in touch with us at storylines pod on instagram or twitter of course you can listen to the analyst inside cricket as well by the simons and i think from us that's everything thanks so much for listening bye bye Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.